Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. So, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jackie. Um, I will be 26 in three weeks. <laughs> um, we will have cake, maybe. <laughs> um, I like long walks on the beach, looking at the night sky. Welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> um, so today we're going to be talking about seeking your oil, so the parable of the ten virgins. Um, God has really been speaking to me on this. Uh, mostly through like my personal relationships in my life with my family and just this past year feeling really tired. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have felt that, but I've felt exhausted and unmotivated and just all the negative icky things. And I was like, God, what's going on? Like, I don't know. My tendency is really to like speak to people and like help them go through whatever they're going through um, just walking with them, and God was like, dude, <laughs> not like really like dude, because I don't know that God says dude, <laughs> but that's how I interpret him talking to me, so however he talks to you guys, like honey, princess, you know, all that jazz, for me, it's dude. Um, you're giving away all your oil, and you're not getting any more, because you're not asking for more, you're not actively seeking for more. And I'm like, wow, that's a really good point. <laughs> um, this past year, I was in a really bad mental state. I wouldn't say really bad, but probably bad in terms of like relationship with Jesus, because I was like, God, I got this. I can do this by myself. <laughs> I'm going to fix everyone's problems, including my own. And this is my plan. And this is the way to do it. And God's up there like, hmm, okay. <laughs> like, you know, like a parent, when a parent is like, they're watching you do things and they've told you multiple times already a certain thing. <laughs> like, don't do this. Because if you do this, then this is going to happen. And so I think God at that point with me was like, we've already been through this, <laughs> like this isn't the first time, so we're just going to see how this turns out and what you learn from this experience. So I was like, cool, all right, so I'm making my way in my little journey of I know what I'm doing and this is my plan. <laughs> and I, that's when I started to feel really exhausted because in my mind, I created a plan for myself and I created a plan for the people around me. <laughs> So I was like, here's my five-year plan for me. Here's my five-year plan for Cammy. my five-year plan for Mrs. Butler, my five-year plan for all these people in my life. And God's like, how's that going for you? <laughs> and I was like, God, I don't know why my five-year plan isn't working. <laughs> I put so much thought into this. It's working for everyone else. 
And yeah, basically he was like, well, you guys know, it's not your plan, it's God's plan, and you're not responsible for the people in your life, they're responsible for them, and God is responsible for them, so basically he was like, listen, I need you to focus on getting your oil, seek your oil, so he reminded me of this parable, and so I was like, I've heard it like once or twice, you know, I kind of get the gist of it, basically, there were five virgins who were wise and five who weren't, and the five who weren't weren't wise because they didn't prepare their oil. And so I was like, well, there's got to be more. That can't just be the only thing. So I started to read this, and I was like, yeah, there's way more in here, like way more that I didn't understand. So uh, just to kind of put this into context, um, this, par- this parable specifically was written for believers. So when Jesus was telling this parable to his disciples, he was saying it in the context of the end times for believers. Um, And something that I found that was interesting, Jesus liked to tell parables a lot, but it wasn't because he was trying to like keep things from people. He was trying to give something to someone who was willing and ready to listen. And so it was intentional on Jesus's part to tell this in the story of like a parable for the ones who were ready to hear so that when they did hear, they would understand. And I have a picture here. I thought that was cool. (laughs) I was like, Wow, I like that background noise. I don't know where that's coming from, but yes, add soundtrack. (laughs) Um, So yeah, you can see the five wise and the five foolish is how Jesus uh, references them. So to the next part, I guess to add a little bit more context. So the parable of the ten virgins isn't the first one that Jesus tells in reference to the end of times. So he tells the story, there's a parable in Matthew 24 at the end and then Matthew 25 in the very beginning. So when I was looking into this and doing my research, um, Jesus told these parables in response to a question that the disciples had. So in Matthew 24 verse three, he says, Uh, Later, when they arrived at the Mount of Olives, his disciples came privately to where he was sitting and said, tell us, when will these things happen and what supernatural sign should we expect to signal your coming and the completion of this age? So naturally, his disciples had many questions, right? Like Jesus would tell them things and more questions would come up like, what does that mean? What are you saying? And Jesus is like, I feel like I'm being very clear. (laughs) Like, what are you not understanding? Um, But I am with the disciples. I'm like, what does this mean? What are we doing? So uh, when Jesus was asked what the sign of his coming would be, he gives his disciples two parables to describe the two types of believers in the last days. So in Matthew 24, um, verses 45 through 51, he tells a parable in relation to a servant and their master. So one would relate to Jesus as servants to the master and the other would relate to him as a bride to a bridegroom. 
I don't think one is worse than the other. And he doesn't really say that one is better or worse than the other. Um, it's just the way that the response of the believers will be in the end. Um, but I guess the way that I would see it is one does come off a little more intimate than the other. Um, a bride to a bridegroom is a lot more intimate than a servant to a master. Um, let's see. And then the other thing that I noted here was he's basically showing us how to respond to him. So these parables that he goes into, he gives a situation and then he says, and this is what the believer does and this is the outcome of that choice. So he gives the wrong way and the right way. And he says the right way is basically the way that you should respond to this situation. So let's go here. So Matthew 24, the wise and faithful servant. Um, that's the other thing. So Matthew 24 and 25, this parable with the servant and the master and the one with the 10 virgins, he repeats the same two words, faithful and wise. So the Matthew, or Matthew 24 with the servant and the master is the faithful, like the faithful portion of the response. And then the 10 virgins is the wisdom portion of it. So in Matthew 24, I didn't put it up there because it was a lot, but I'll read it to you guys. And then one thing I also want to stress is that this can get really intense. <laughs> it's not meant to like scare you into like believe and do this and do that. No, like it comes off a little harsh, but in reality, it's God's love to us saying this is the invitation. Like this is the invitation to respond to relationship with me. Um, some people respond better to fear, but like it doesn't need to be that way. Like he's just inviting you into relationship with him, into an eternal relationship with him, really. And it's a blueprint. Like as things become to get like closer and everything's dark and uncertain, because it does say in Matthew 24, it'll be like the times of Noah when basically the floods came and nobody knew it was going to happen next and it was super uncertain. Um, so he's giving you the blueprint, like this is what you do. So in Matthew 24, 45 through 51, he says, what would qualify a servant to manage his master's house? He would be a wise servant who is both faithful and dependable. The master would commission him to oversee others for he would lead them well and give them food at the right time. What joy and blessing will come to that faithful servant when the master comes home to find him serving with excellence. I can promise you the master will raise him up and put him in charge of all that he owns. But the evil servant says in his heart, my master delays his coming and who knows when he will return. And because of the delay, the servant mistreats those in his master's household. Instead of caring for the ones he was appointed to serve, he abuses the other servants and begins to party with drunkards. And then it goes on to say, let me tell you what will happen to him. Basically not nice things. <laughs> um, if you guys are following along in your own Bibles, go ahead and read that. But I don't want to really super discourage you with this translation. Um, basically, the master will assign him to a place of great sorrow and anguish along with all the other hypocrites. Okay, moving along. <laughs> 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 
we don't want to aspire to be that portion, so we're going to focus on what we want to aspire to be, which is the good and faithful servant. So I wrote in my notes here, life example here to cheer up the mood. <laughs> so um, when I was younger and still lived in New Jersey, um, so I lived in New Jersey from birth to the age of 15, and I lived with my dad and my brother who was only a year older than me. And so over the summers, my dad would have to work throughout the day so my brother and I would stay home. But before my dad would leave, he would say, this is your task for the day, or these are your chores. And my brother isn't really about the cleaning life. <laughs> I think at this point in time, I was 11 and he was 12, and we had our tasks, and my mentality was, okay, bro, we have these tasks. Like, this is what we need to do. Like, let's do this in the morning, and then we don't have to worry about it the rest of the day. My brother looks at me, and he says, no. He says, I'm going to go outside and mow the lawn. And I'm like, mowing the lawn wasn't a task on our thing today. Like, it wasn't a task. And you're not supposed to be driving that when dad's not home. Because it was like one of those sit ones where you just sit and drive around and cut the grass. So anyway, that particular day, <laughs> my dad decided to come home from lunch for lunch, which was around noon. But we weren't expecting him back for lunch. And normally he tells us because he's like, hey, like Jackie, can you make lunch? Like usually I make like mac and cheese or something because it's easy. And he only has 30 minutes. But this time he didn't. He just came home. And so I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so naturally, the result, the ending result was not good for my brother. Um, after that, I tried to help my brother. This, this isn't a solution. I'm not saying this is a solution. This is probably also bad on my part. But I would do my, my brother's chores for him because I didn't want him to get in trouble anymore. But I think that in and of itself is a lesson. Like, you can't do what's been assigned to somebody else to do, you can't take on their portion. Um, because as we get further into what I'm talking about today, you're gonna, your oil's gonna dry out. You know, like you only have enough for what you've been assigned to do, what you've been asked to do. Like when it comes to my brother, he had enough to do what he wanted to do, but he chose not to because, well, dad wasn't gonna be home until five, but Dad actually came home at 12, and things weren't good after that. So, yeah. So, all that to say, just putting it into context, that's basically what comes before the parable of the ten virgins. So, let's get into it. Did I go the right way? I hope so. Okay. <laughs> Um, so Matthew 25, we're just going to, we're going to split it up into portions because I feel like there's so much in here that that would probably be the best way to do it versus just throwing it at you guys all at once. Um, so verses one through five say, when my coming draws near, heaven's kingdom realm can be compared to 10 maidens who took their oil lamps and went outside to meet the bridegroom and his bride. Five of them were foolish and ill-prepared, for they took no extra oil for their lamps. Five of them were wise, for they took flasks of olive oil with their lamps. When the bridegroom didn't come when they expected, 
they all grew drowsy and fell asleep. So just to define a couple things here um, in this specific portion and because it'll help moving forward. So oil in this case would be a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit brings us revelation of the word of God and then it also brings us power for our ministry. So when we get oil, we're getting revelation brought to us by the Holy Spirit from God. And then the lamp would then be considered your ministry or the light that you produce as a result of the revelation from the oil. So we all have something that we're called to do from God. So we get our oil and then we go do what God has called us to do. Um, and then in Matthew chapter 5, 15 through 16, it says, your lives light up the world. Let others see your light from a distance, for how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? And who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? Instead, it's placed where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that the commendable things you do will shine as a light upon them and then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. Um, so your light serves a purpose, not just for you, but for those around you. The purpose of a lamp, the purpose of your light is to shine it out so people can see it because they're gonna benefit from that. They're gonna learn from the light. Um, the other things that I thought were interesting, he's basically defining the foolish from the wise. So the foolish were unprepared and the wise were prepared. Um, that's important not only when it comes to the end of the end times or the end of days when Jesus returns, but in your everyday life, because you're going to go through trials, like we all go through trials. And our trials are unexpected. I don't know about you guys, but I don't stand there and I'm like, I'm going to have a trial tomorrow at 3 o'clock. I need to be prepared for this trial tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Like, let me get the oil specifically for that trial tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Like, no, it comes when you're not expecting it, you know? So, like, you need to be prepared for that trial whenever it can happen. Um, <laughs> um, there also is a timing issue brought up here. <laughs> there is this idea quite opposite from the previous parable that the bridegroom should be arriving quicker. And the previous one, it says, oh, he's going to take a long time so I can do whatever I want. And this one, it's why isn't he here right now? Like he should be here right now. So the maidens get to where they're going in their journey, and they fully expect the Lord to arrive shortly thereafter, but he doesn't. This is an emphasis of the Lord's timing and not our timing. Only the Father knows the time. Um, but this can also apply to our daily lives. We expect something to happen faster than it most likely will or something to take longer than it most likely will. But God has the blueprints to that timeline, not us. 
It's just like me in the beginning, like I have a five-year plan for all these people in my life. <laughs> but really, God has that plan, and it's a lifelong plan. It's an eternal plan. It's not just a five-year plan, and that plan is dependent on our choices. Like God is offering that to us, like, hey, this is what we can do, but it all depends on your yes. Like my yes is here in this plan. Is your yes also here? Um, so following God's timeline is important. Um, so what happens? He doesn't come when they're expecting and they all fall asleep. Not just the foolish ones, but the wise ones as well. Um, the parable doesn't necessarily say whether or not this is a bad thing. Um, it doesn't say that there were repercussions for the wise maidens who fell asleep. Um, which leads me to believe that maybe they were all just tired from the journey. Um, so I kind of see it two ways. They could have been tired from their journey, but also when it comes to end times, it's repeated over and over to stay awake and stay alert. Um, so maybe <laughs> there's that other side to think about as well. I don't want to say for sure it's one or the other. It could be both. Um, so either way, half of the group did not have their ducks in a row. They came and they only had the oil that was in their lamps thinking, oh, God's going to be there, like, or the bridegroom's going to be there. I don't need this extra stuff. Like, this will be enough to get me through the night. Um, there are several times when Jesus is discussing the end, end of days when the idea that we must be awake and alert is mentioned. So in Luke 12, 34 through 36, um, it says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. So your lamps would be your ministry or your light. So keep your ministry or your light burning so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. So God isn't just going to adjust his timeline for us. Like, if he arrives at the door and he's knocking, like, we need to be ready to open that door because he's on a timeline. Like, he's on his timeline. So he's not, we can't just say, oh, hold on a second. You know, like, I'm trying to get my ducks in a row. Like, we have to have our ducks in a row <laughs> because he's going to move on to the next house and we're going to miss our opportunity. And that doesn't mean that there won't be more opportunities in our day-to-day -day life. But when it comes to the end of days, I think that's what he's stressing. Like, there's going to be that moment, and we're going to have to be ready for that moment. Um, the other thing that kind of hit me when it said they all fell asleep um, was when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. I can never pronounce it right. <laughs> I just know it's the olive press, right? That's what it translates into. Um, and the Lord kind of brought up two separate passages. So in Luke 22, 45 through 46, and Matthew 26, 40 through 41. It was interesting to me that this happens after Jesus presents this parable to the disciples. Like, I, don't, I was just like, he tells you this parable where they all fell asleep and he's constantly saying, be alert. But like, the disciples fall asleep anyway. I don't know. That was 
That was just funny to me. I'll read it, and it'll make more sense. But um, So Luke chapter 22, 45 through 46. When Jesus finished praying, he got up and went to his disciples and found them all asleep, for they were exhausted and overwhelmed with sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. You need to be alert and pray for the strength to endure the great temptation. Um, so I liked this verse and I wanted to share it because it shows the state that the disciples were in. Like, they didn't just fall asleep because they were lazy. Like, they were tired. They were sad. Like, they didn't fully understand, I think, what was coming. But Jesus knew and that's why he was like, hey, be alert and stay awake and pray with me. I don't know why this is up here. <laughs> I'm going to move it over here. <laughs> Um, in the next verse, uh, Matthew 26, 40 through 41, it says, it's basically the same scenario. It's just written differently. It says, later he came back to his three disciples and found them all sound asleep. He awakened Peter and said to him, could you not stay awake with me for even one hour? Keep alert and pray that you'll be spared from this time of testing. Your spirit is eager enough, but your humanity is weak. Um, let's see. So here Jesus is basically saying you need to stay awake. You need to be alert and actively praying to not fall into the temptation around you. To me, it's almost like a mirror kind of when I was thinking about this. It probably wasn't meant to be, but kind of the way I was seeing it was it was a mirror between the parable and the situation. Like, Maybe if the foolish maidens had stayed awake to pray, they would have been able to prepare better. They would have realized, like, oh, more time is going by. Like, I actually need more oil. My lamp is going to go out. And I don't feel like Jesus is necessarily saying, like, how dare you? Like, I don't feel like he's necessarily, like, trying to condemn them. I think it's because he loves them that he brings it up. He knows what's coming. He wants them to be prepared. Like, this is going to be different than what they've ever experienced. So he's trying to prepare them. But I don't think they fully understood that in that moment because it goes on and he leaves and he comes back and they're sleeping again. So, and then he leaves and he comes back and they're still sleeping. So I guess they weren't going to realize what was going on until it actually happened. But, um, so moving on here, Matthew 25, 6 through 9. I think that's what's up there. Um, then suddenly in the middle of the night, they were awakened by the shout, get up, the bridegroom is here. Come out and have an encounter with him. I know in some versions it says come out and meet with him. So all the girls got up and trimmed their lamps, but the foolish ones were running out of oil. So they said to the five wise ones, share your oil with us because our lamps are going out. We can't, they replied. We don't have enough for all of us. You'll have to go and buy some for yourselves. So in this passage, um, the portion where it's saying, come out and have an encounter with him or come out and meet with him. I didn't get exactly what the Greek word was for the meet with him portion, but it says that it's not simply to meet with him. It's like a rare Greek noun that means to have a meeting or an encounter. So it's something a little bit deeper. Don't just come out and like meet with him and see him, but have an encounter with him, have an experience with him. 
Um, so the parts that stood out here were suddenly in the middle of the night. So you're not expecting it. It's the middle of the night. I don't know about you guys, but I'm sleeping. Like my eyes are shut. I'm like dead to the world. <laughs> um, I'm not expecting company at that time. So I think this is important because it's when we're least expecting it. It could be at any time. Like it could be at three in the morning when you're like sleep, sleep, you know, <laughs> like um, we need oil for when we least expect it. And like I said earlier, we don't expect trials to happen at a certain time. We don't expect to need to be strong at specific times. Um, so we need to be prepared um, for those moments when we need to be strong. So if the oil is revelation from the Holy Spirit, then we can pass on knowledge from one to one to another, right? Like I can tell you this is what I learned, like... Um, Jesus loves me. That's what I learned. But we can't pass on an experience we've had with Jesus. Like, I can't pass on to you how I felt in that moment when I found out that Jesus loves me. Or I can't pass on to you, like, the full heart revelation of what occurred in that moment for me to fully realize that. We can't pass on revelation from those encounters and it's through encounters with Jesus, experiences with him in our trials, that we obtain our oil. Um, I can't just take that encounter and use it to bring you out of your trial and solve it. Perhaps the first time for sure, like the first time I can be like, hey, this is how we solve this. Like if you've never encountered this type of trial before, yes, let me show you. Um, but after that, you have the knowledge. So you take the knowledge from that first time through the next similar trial. Because as we know, trials are going to keep coming. And you gain the experience, you gain the encounter, you've been pressed, so you get the oil. So if people who have oil are constantly solving the problem for you, if they're constantly giving you the oil they're gonna be exhausted. They're gonna run out. Their light is gonna go out, their lamp is gonna go out. So there are times for the sake of your own light that you must purchase your own oil. So for the sake of person A, person B needs to purchase their own oil. We all need to understand our limitations and I think that's where the wisdom is, understanding how much you can give. Um, so <laughs> it says in my notes, how do I purchase my own oil? We're definitely getting to that portion. <laughs> um, let's see here. So just to end off the parable here. While the five girls were out buying oil, the bridegroom appeared. Those who were ready and waiting were escorted inside with him and the wedding party to enjoy the feast. And then the door locked. Later, the five foolish girls came running up to the door and pleaded, Lord, Lord, let us come in. But he called back, go away. Do I know you? <coughs> Sorry. I can assure you, I don't even know you. That is the reason you always stay awake and be alert 
because you don't know the day or the hour. <coughs> I promise I'm not emotional. I just have allergies. <laughs> okay. We don't know the day or the hour when the bridegroom will appear. So this really stood out to me because <laughs> you have the bridegroom standing there. And who's the bridegroom? The bridegroom is Jesus, right? You have Jesus in front of you and he's saying, I don't even know you. Like when at the end of days, when you stand face to face with him, like he's like, who are you? Like, I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. Like, what's your character like? What's your favorite color? You know, things that you know about people you're close with. He's saying, I don't know you. I'm not going to let you into this private gathering. I'm just going to let that sit for a second. <laughs> Actually, that kind of scared me the first time I read it. I don't know about you guys. I was like, Lord, let me get my ducks in a row. <laughs> Um, the door was locked yeah it's I was thinking about that this entire time and I was like Lord why'd you lock the door <laughs> but it is it's a private gathering like we don't like when you ask people to gather you don't usually invite people that you don't know like if it's an intimate gathering you don't usually invite people that you don't really know So looking at this practically, how do I obtain oil? Look at the happy picture. <laughs> so the first way would be intimacy with Jesus because he wants to know you. He wants to know who you are. Like, Thank you. <laughs> like, yeah, he made you. And he's like, I know you're in from inside and out, like who you are, but relational wise, like as you're growing, like, who are you? So the first thing that came to mind was reading the word. So let me see here. John 1. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So if the Word is God, the best way to know Jesus is going to be to <laughs> read the Word. It's the blueprint to Jesus. He basically says in there, this is who I am. Um, the next thing would be praying. So Psalm 145, 18 through 19 says, you draw near to those who call out to you, listening closely, especially when their hearts are true. <coughs> Every one of your godly lovers receives even more than what they ask for, for you hear what their hearts really long for and you bring them to your saving strength. I thought that was cool. Like when we pray, we're not just, we're not just talking to a wall. Like he's listening closely. 
And then following his commandments. Um, 1 John 5, 3 says, True love for God means obeying his commands. And his, his commands don't weigh us down as heavy burdens. Um, let's see. The other one was all of John 14. <laughs> Basically talks about loving God. Um, John 14, 15 says, loving me empowers you to obey my commands. And John 14, 21 says, those who truly love me are those who obey my commands. Whoever passionately loves me will be passionately loved by my father and I will passionately love him in return and will reveal myself to him. Um, so the reveal here is the Greek word meaning I will personally come to him. So it's implying a special divine manifestation. It's not just like, it's not just seeing him face to face. Like I, Jesus will personally come to you. <clears throat> and then just going through life with Jesus, like going through your trials, like whenever you go through a trial, like saying, Jesus, how do I get out of this? <laughs> Jesus, how do I make it through? Like, how should I go through this with you? The next one is purchasing the oil. So at first I thought that buying the oil was a bad thing. And I was like, why would you pay for it? Like, but then it hit me like you, it's costly. Like it costs something. Buying the oil implies that obtaining revelation comes at a cost, whether that be sacrificing time, people, things, etc. Buying oil is investing in your relationship with Jesus. So kind of like how you guys put money in a 401k. <laughs> put money or put put time into Jesus, you know, into your relationship with Jesus. And a question that came up was, what would you need to sacrifice to obtain the oil necessary to move forward in who God has called you to be? So why is it important to keep your lamp lit? Why do I have to, like... What if I don't want to purchase oil? <laughs> well, when, you're, when you keep your lamp lit, you can see clearly, like, what is the purpose of a light or the purpose of a lamp if not for you to be able to see things or to brighten up the darkness? So the light from the lamp guides us to follow God's ways and helps us to identify with him in times of darkness. <coughs> Sorry, I don't usually talk this long. Um, <laughs> so my voice is like, what are you doing to me? And I'm like, uh. <laughs> um, so when we don't have the time to obtain our oil through Jesus, we don't have the necessary power to light our lamps or keep our flames burning. 
When that happens, it can be easy to lose sight of God because we don't have anything to guide us. Then we see others' lights from their lamps, and we try to use that light up, light to light up the darkness in our situations. But it doesn't usually work because they're trying to keep their vision clear. Like, they're on their path, and they have their lamp, and maybe they're not going in the same direction. So eventually, that light is going to walk away from you, and you're going to be stuck in the same situation. And, of course, this can be something that's tiring, But if you've prepared your oil in the moments of exhaustion, there can be moments of rest. Resting in the Lord's presence, letting him take control. Even that can be intimacy with the Lord because you are sharing a vulnerable moment with him. A moment of weakness for his strength. I felt like that was a lot more than I shared, than I was going to. Uh, Let me see where I'm at. Oh, that's the last slide. Um, I do have one more thing to share, though. I guess applying this personally, like trials with my own family and moving away and stuff. Um... So when I was growing up, as most people do, they don't, like, I didn't have the best relationship with my family, and of course, there was, like, a lot of hidden things, and so once those things came to light, um, basically, I was pushed out of my family, so my family basically told me to leave, which is how I ended up in Michigan. Um, (laughs) It was, I was never, it was never my plan to come here, like, I was growing up in Jersey. <laughs> like, I have the, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, but I'm in Jersey, you know. I didn't even know what Michigan was. Like, I just knew my mom was from Michigan. <clears throat> so anyway, I ended up moving here. Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> I don't know how to gracefully take a drink when I'm talking. So when I moved to Michigan, I was really tired from my trial that I went through for 10 years of my life. Um, I did go through it with God for most parts. Um, But by the time I got to Michigan, I had spent most of my life seeing God, only seeing God through the perspective of my trial, not knowing what it was like to have relationship with Jesus outside of that. So when it finally came time to rest, I was like, what do I do now? So I ended up not really spending time with God, and my lamp wasn't lit, hardly if any. It was probably a really small flame. Um, I fell into depression, and I didn't know how to get out of it until God reached back out to me, and I decided to listen again. I decided to talk to him, to read his words, to find out more about him, and to establish a relationship with him. At some point, we stop making ourselves the center of our own worlds. We make him the center of our world. Of course, there are going to be moments when we fail. But the point of those moments is to get back up again. We're only victims as long as we allow ourselves to be. 
and we aren't the product of our circumstances, we're the product of our choices. And that was really important to me because I feel like a lot of times we use our circumstances as a reason for why we can't get oil. Like, <laughs> I'm going through this trial and I don't have time, any other time but to focus on this trial that I'm going through. And I need to focus on the bad stuff and I can't see past my depression, <laughs> which was basically me. Um, for probably five years, I was like, woe is me, look what happened to me. <laughs> like, nobody was there for me. Like, it sucked the entire time. And for those of you who don't know, I'm just gonna share it because it'll probably put it more into perspective. Because, so basically, for 10 years of my life, I was abused by an uncle and nobody knew about it. I didn't tell anyone. It was physical, emotional, mental, all that jazz for 10 years, basically between the ages of five and 15. And so by the time that I came out of it, I was like, everything sucks. Like, nobody cared about me. Like, by the time everyone found out, my family's reaction was to kick me out of the house because their brother was sent to prison. Like, so I was like, I'm a victim like for five years. And the only thing that that did was depress me. That did absolutely nothing for me other than put me in a depression. Caused me to seek attention from people who, it doesn't even validate you to seek attention from those people. All it does is get like one or two moments of, I'm so sorry that happened to you and then what? But if you choose to focus on God and get your oil from him, like you turn that situation around, you're no longer a victim. It's just a part of your story, a part of your journey. And you use that to light up somebody else's life momentarily, teach them how to get their oil, and then they're, they have their own light. So, yeah, we are only victims as long as we allow ourselves to be. We aren't the product of our circumstances. We're the product of our choices. Um, and... Basically, all it takes is saying yes to God, just saying yes, and then he works the rest out. Experiencing trials and tribulation with Jesus and our humanity can be beautiful. I know that our humanity is a weakness, but we're only human for so long before we move on to Jesus and our eternal bodies, whatever that looks like. Um, the product of our pressing will be something we can use to fuel our lives. And again, all of this isn't really necessarily a warning, but more so an invitation to respond to him in a way that's going to bring you life. It is a path that calls you higher, but it's a path that gives you the skills you need to live your life to the fullest, to be able to fully enjoy it, even in the trial. Because in the end, there's always going to be trials. If you take away anything, there's always going to be a trial. Get your oil, you know. <laughs> um, if I learned anything from the past year and those first 10 years of my life, <laughs> there's always going to be something. Life is never going to be peaceful unless you choose to have peace. Um, so, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs>
That's all there is to me. <laughs> okay, cool. Here you go. Yeah, give her one more hand. Encourage her, you guys. Yeah, great job. Great job. Don't short sell yourself, kiddo. There's a lot of treasure, a lot of treasures. I was taking notes. I was taking notes. It was good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, come on. Amen. That's all right, Laura. That's all right. We just want to encourage you. So we talk about this every week. We want to activate what we learned today, right? I thought it was interesting. One of the points she said that really stood out to me was that all of the bridesmaids fell asleep. Every single one of them, the wise and the unwise, the wise and the foolish. And I thought, you know, and it was because they had an expected time line that God did not adhere to. So I'm just going to, for activation today, if it's all right with y'all, can we just do a public repentance? Say, Father, forgive me for any and all expectations and timelines that I have held you to that were not your idea. I thank you that I am forgiven. And I ask you now for the grace to get in time and in step with you. Amen. Amen. And the other point she made was the other servant, right, who said, Hey, this is taking forever. I got time. I got all the time in the world to figure this out. <laughs> I, gotta, I don't have to get this together now. I got lots of time. Right? So we're just going to do one more activation. Say, Father, forgive me for the times when I have procrastinated in obeying you because I thought I got all the time in the world to get this done and I'm asking you to give me an encounter with you that will grace me to obey you quickly in Jesus name amen alright so real quick say Holy Spirit show me what happens when I delay obeying you, and just watch for a moment. He's going to show you something. Ask him to show you something. Or bring to my remembrance even, okay? Bring to my remembrance, Holy Spirit, a time when I delayed in obeying you and how it did not, how that went. And if you've got that, just say, Holy Spirit, show me how you worked that out for good anyway. Yeah, he's so gracious. Isn't he good? He's so, so gracious.
what Jackie talked about, that's the whole reason we do these activations, just like she was saying in that, that parable about the wise and the foolish. It's all about encountering him. So the whole purpose of why we do these activations is that so we don't go home with just a message and a knowledge and a lamp holder without any oil in it. We walk through this process over and over and over again because when we walk with you through an encounter with him, he can impart into you the revelation that you heard today. Amen? That's how we're sent out in power. We can sit here and listen to theologian after theologian after theologian talk about the word over and over and over again, but until we activate, until we have an encounter with him to make it personal and intimate and real with us, we actually don't have the power we need to go out and do what he's asked us to do. Amen? All right, so praise God. I'm going to ask Donna. And Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what he wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good, and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.